0: reading today comes from Book of James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26. Book of James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26. Faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead.
1: If I were to ask you, what is the most important relationship in your life, who would you say? I can list a few. My relationship with my wife, with my children, with my parents, my friends, and my brother. And as some of you know, I moved out of my house when I was 17, and I moved out with my brother who is younger than me, uh, who was 15 years old. In many ways, we would not be who we are today if we didn't have each other. Living on my own at that age wasn't easy, but knowing and, and, and ha- having a brother to uh, journey with through that time made it bearable. Our relationship with, with each other still continues uh, to this day. We're both married and have children and have uh, uh, wonderful families, and we see each other pretty regularly. In fact, they are part of uh, my brother and his family are part of my social bubble uh, during this time. If for some reason my brother got to a point where he had lost his job and, and did not have enough money to take care of his kids, did not have mon- enough money for groceries or even to buy clothes to wear uh, for his daily living, what would I do? with a brother who I've journeyed with my whole life, who, who we've supported each other throughout all this time, would I just say to him, well, uh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry that you're going through this. And I really do believe that God's peace should be with you. You know, the word peace that we know to be the word shalom, which means wholeness, completeness, and even prosperity with God. And so I say to him, stay warm, don't be hungry, eat eat a lot of food when he doesn't have any money, and then go off and do nothing about it. My words and my thoughts mean nothing. In fact, not only do my words and thoughts mean nothing, it actually adds insult to injury. I'm insulting his place in what he's going through by offering him well wishes and then doing nothing to help him. And you would never say this to your brother or your mother or anyone of your loved ones who is going through something like that. You would, of course, share your thoughts and, and your, your uh, well wishes, but then you would also help them in their need of a daily meal or clothing that need, they need to wear for that day. And that's the whole point that James is trying to make here just as it would be crazy to say these things to a loved one and then do nothing about it, faith without deeds is dead. As one commentator put it, Seem, seeming concern for the welfare of the poor person is a worthless facade. Who here remembers the ice bucket challenge of uh, a few years ago, yesteryear? Uh, Let me start off by saying the Ice Bucket Challenge did do a lot of good. It raised a lot of money for uh, ALS, and hopefully it raised some awareness for, for that disease. But I remember seeing the hype around the Ice Bucket Challenge, and I wonder, do people realize that if you do the Ice Bucket Challenge and pour ice water on yourself, you don't have to give money? The whole point of the Ice Bucket Challenge is that either you give money to ALS, or do the ice bucket challenge. So when people would do this and and get dunked on and then challenge, I think, three people, I don't even remember how many people, then you are not obliged to give money. And I don't think those people realized that. That's what was happening. And I know there were uh, celebrities who did this but then gave money, so I know that it's, it did do some good. But the Ice Bucket Challenge actually came under some criticism because they made light of this disease called ALS. And, and many people, in fact, didn't even know what ALS was about. They just did it because it was a fad. And I wonder why James had to bring this up in his letters. Why did he have to talk about how faith without deeds is dead? Was there a group of people who talked about their faith a lot but did not put it into action? Could it be that there are people in this world who would believe and say that they have faith but do not put it into action? Look at what James says here in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? When I was serving at my old church, uh, York, Mr. Park, I had a couple who emailed me to ask about whether or not I, we, we could baptize their, their baby. They just had a baby recently and wondered if they could have their baby baptized. Right away, I knew that this couple did not know anything about the Baptist church because as Baptists, we don't baptize infant uh, infants. And secondly, I knew that they didn't come to our church because I, I didn't recognize their names. And I had a sense that It was something that they felt that they had to do, that they may go to church once in a while and know about baptism and infant baptism. And, you know, that's the thing you got to do. You got to get your kid done just in case, just in case something happens, right? And I think this is the kind of faith that James is talking about here. This kind of faith will not save you. Just because you believe in a God or even believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that kind of faith won't save you, but what do you mean? I thought if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that that is all we need in order to get into heaven or to be saved. And in some sense, it is true. In the early church, the only confession you had to make when getting baptized was the phrase "Jesus is Lord." Now there is a whole lot of other things that you needed to do in order to get baptized, but that was the the shortest phrase, this phrase "Jesus is Lord," was the shortest form of creed or belief statement that the early church uh, had. It's very similar to the people of Israel. They have a prayer that they say every day, twice a day, even to even this day, called the Shema. And the Shema is, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord your God, the Lord is the Lord is one. You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind." Uh, and, uh, and, and if you look at verse 19, James actually refers to the Shema and says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demon, demons believe that and shudder. James says, good for you. Good for you that you believe in the Shema that, and maybe even recite it, that the Lord your God is one. But guess what? Even the demons believe in that, and they shudder. You know, I was reminded of a clip from a movie uh, that fits well with what James is saying here. Let's watch it.
0: Man, that lousy Mufasa. I won't be able to sit for a week. (laughs) It's not funny, Ed. (laughs) Hey, shut up!
1: (laughs) Will you knock it off? Well, he started it. Look at you guys. No wonder we're dangling at the bottom of the food chain. Man, I hate dangling. Yeah. You know, if it weren't for those lions, we'd be running the joint. Man, I hate lions. So pushy. And hairy. And stinky. And man, are they ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: surely we lions are that bad?
1: Oh, oh, scars, just you. You were afraid (laughs) it was somebody important. Yeah, you don't like Mufasa. Yeah. I see. Now that's power. Tell me about it. I just hear that name and I shudder. Mufasa. Ooh. Do it again. Mufasa. Ooh. Ooh. Mufasa, Ooh. Mufasa, Mufasa, <laughs> Mufasa.
0: Ooh, the tingles.
1: So even the hyenas shudder at the name of uh, Mufasa. And the hyenas don't doubt the power and the authority of Mufasa. They recognize that he is the king of the pride lands. And the hyenas, those shudder at the name of this king, is bent on killing the king and replacing him. In the same way, James says that just because you believe that Jesus is king, does not does mean that you are for him. What James is saying here is that even if you recite the Shema and wish people peace and shalom, um, the two very foundational parts of the Jewish religion, but do not live out what these two core beliefs speak about, then your faith is dead. You can believe that Jesus is Lord without believing his disi- believing, um, without being his disciple. You can believe and recite the very foundational tenets of our faith, but without that faith lived out in action, it is dead. It's very interesting that Jesus himself actually speaks about these two principles of the Shema and the Shalom. You can say that the Shema and the Shalom is seen in the great commandment of Jesus to love God and love others. We can talk till we are blue in the face about loving God and loving others, but unless we live it out, it really means nothing. Uh, Another commentator says this about saving faith. Saving faith, then... It's not mere intellectual acceptance of a theological proposition. It's not a mere intellectual acceptance of a theological proposition. Saving, saving faith is not just thinking really hard or believing really deeply that Jesus is Lord. Faith is not even about walking the talk or doing the right thing. This kind of faith is not an intellectual exercise or religious practices But rather, it's relational. It's not a faith in an idea or even a way of life or a religion. It is faith in a person. It is faith in Jesus. In 1995, I went to Skydome, which for some of you is called Rogers Center. Uh, I went to this place with my church group. Because Billy Graham was coming into uh, the city of Toronto and we had to go. And he, had, he was doing his big crusade. And I remember the place was so packed that I was sitting at the very top of uh, the Rogers Center behind the last seat on the concrete floor just by the roof. And I, I invited one of my school friends that I knew for, for a while because I really wanted him to hear about Jesus and hopefully come to know him. So Billy Graham spoke about Jesus and the love of God, and at the end of his talk, like he usually does, he um, had an altar call. He called people down that if they wanted to follow Jesus and make that decision, then they were invited to come down to the main level. You know, so I'm just like kind of eyeing my friend to see what he would do. Praying, I think, uh, maybe I prayed, I don't remember, hoping that he would accept Jesus. And and he, sure enough, stands up and wants to go downstairs. So I said, okay, yeah, let's go. I, I, I went down with him. And I don't really remember the details of what happened when you go down there. I think they pray for you and, and, and that kind of stuff. And But I was really just excited and waiting Uh, and hoping to talk to my friend afterwards just to say so what happened you know why did you go down that kind of stuff so when i did he told me that he went down because oh everyone else was going down and i just wanted to see what it was like to be down there and that just devastated any hope that i had that that he uh, wanted to follow jesus and I know that altar calls and other invitations like this and, and what we call the decision is, has had positive impact, has led people to follow Jesus. But at the same time, I believe it has harmed our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The way in which this type of faith hurts us is that this is this idea of decisionism, this decisionism. We have made our discipleship with Jesus a cheap, simple decision or a prayer. It has become a way of saying a magic phrase to make sure we get into heaven. It has become a ritual where we get our children done so that they are blessed by God. It has become lip service when, when the call and the cost of following Jesus is our whole lives. This kind of faith does not save because it isn't relational. It isn't a relationship with Jesus It is a relationship with a vending machine. We make Jesus an object of our own purposes instead of a reciprocal relationship with the living God. As I shared earlier, that my life would not be the same without my brother, but my most important relationship, human relationship, that I have is with my wife. Uh, She and I have been married now for almost 18 years, and she has had the single greatest impact in who I am and in my life. And I'm sure that I am that for her. And there is no way you can have an intimate relationship, whether it's romantic or not, with someone without that relationship shaping you and making you who you are. In the same way, when we are in a loving relationship with Jesus, there is no way that our lives would stay the same. Our relationship with Jesus has substance. It's not just some wishful thinking. In fact, we believe that when we are in relationship with Jesus, we are born again. We become new creatures, new beings. As Baptists, we believe that the act of baptism is a symbol of the reality of our union with Jesus as we join him in his death on the cross and we are raised uh, up with him in this new life in him. Faith in Jesus leads to complete restoration and transformation of who we are and how we live. Some of you might be concerned that there is such a heavy emphasis here on our deeds. What about the fact that we are saved by faith alone? Yes, it's true that we are saved by the work of Jesus and not because of what we do. Uh, But what James is emphasizing here, that though... What does he emphasize? He is emphasizing here that that though that deeds are important, that uh, that faith without deeds is not um, is not real faith. That there needs to be an integration of our faith and deeds. We cannot separate the two from each other. Paul, who wrote about, who wrote a lot about how we are saved by faith in Jesus alone, says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, we are saved by grace, and it is a gift of God, and it's because of the work of Jesus that we are saved. But look what it says in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. He created, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As we are in relationship with Jesus and as he works in us, we are formed to reflect his image and are called to do good works. We do not just believe in Jesus and then live our lives any way we want, nor can we just do good deeds without recognizing that the good deeds come out of our relationship with Jesus. It's like peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly, or peanut butter and bananas for me. It's like Sonny and Cher, Batman and Robin, macaroni and cheese. Any other ones? Wieners and beans. <laughs> the body and the spirit. <laughs> you get the point, right? You, you cannot have one without the other. And one of the things I love about our national mission orga- organization called CBM, Canadian Baptist Missions, uh, is their desire to do mission through word and deed they recognize the importance of this integrated faith. You can't just have word, nor can't you just have deed. You need to have both. Faith is not a private matter because it can't be. If we are in a relationship with the King Jesus, there is no way such relationship would keep us the same. So what does this mean for us? How do we live in ways where we live out an integrated faith? where actions reflect our relationship with Jesus. I say we start with the duck test. You guys know about the duck test? If If it looks like a duck, and if it swims like a duck, smells like a duck, and quacks like a duck, well, it's a duck, meaning your actions will reveal who you are. I was having this conversation with Sam Chase, and he said that people believe what you do more than what you say. People believe what you do more than what you say. And we were talking about this in terms of in an organizational setting, but I think it applies to our own lives. They believe what you do more than what you say. Meaning, take the duck test. See how your actions reflect what you say, you believe. And I think here are some three questions, I think, that can be helpful to have this integrative faith. They are, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? And who do I spend my time with? The first one, how do I spend my time? Melody Wilding writes that, tell me how you spend your time, and I'll tell you what you value most. In the article, she talks about defining what we value. Because once we can define what we value, we're more able to see how we spend our time and how that can be realigned to what we value. Take time to reflect on what you spend your time on and then ask yourself, does that match what I say I care about, what I value? For instance, I can say I value my body and the health of my body but do not spend any time exercising or eating the right kind of food. Do I really value it? The second question is, how do we spend our money? We all know this saying, put your money where your mouth is. It is very easy to talk about how much we care about this cause or that cause, how you know this, this thing matters and that thing matters, but it really shows up in the way we spend our money. Are we willing to put our money where our mouth is? Do we actually contribute to that cause that we say we believe in? A harder question around this is whether or not we would put our money where it would actually cost us. For instance, all of us would say that gender equity and gender pay equity is, is very important. But what if... In order for us to have gender pay equity, that you needed to take a pay cut, would you do that? When I think about that, it it is a very hard choice to make. It's a hard decision. Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure or your money is, there your heart will be also. The last question we can reflect on is, who do we spend our time with? Who we spend time with is who we become. This is why married couples start looking like each other. They not only influence the way they are as people, they literally start influencing the way they look, uh, they look uh, on the outside. If we know this to be true, the obvious question is, do we spend time with Jesus? Yes, we are to do this communally, uh, like we do on Sundays or, or in small groups, but also, do you spend time with King Jesus? Who, do you spend, who you spend time with is who you become. A writer and a pastor, John Wimber, says this quote, show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I would say also with who you spend time with, and I'll tell you what you worship. Another way to phrase it is, show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you who you worship. Uh, I want to give us a few minutes to now prayerfully consider and just reflect on these three questions. Uh, and I find t- at times it's really helpful to be able to write down um Uh, when when reflecting so one thing great about the magic of of live stream even is that you could pause now and go grab a pen and paper if you like and spend some time reflecting on these questions and so we'll spend a few minutes reflecting on these questions these three questions that you see here and then um, we'll pray and and together again if you want more time to reflect you can pause the video and spend as long as you like and then come back so let me pray for us as we spend some time reflecting and asking God to um, show us. Um, search us, O oh God, because you know us better than ourselves. And as we some, uh, spend some time reflecting now, we pray that, uh, that we may hear um, from you even in the midst of reflecting on, on these questions. <clears throat> Another thing to encourage you uh, this week is to ask someone that you trust, that will uh, that care for you, that will speak truth, um, and, but in an honest way and in an um, uplifting way. Ask them these questions about you because um, they would be the best indicator of, of whether or not you're putting into practice what you believe. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our king. And we don't want to say that lightly. So we ask that as you continue to work in us, help us to understand what that means. Help us to trust in you, knowing that you are working in us, that you are making us new. And help us to be able to turn to you, to look to you, to spend time with you, that as we continue to develop our love relationship with you, that we could trust that your spirit working in us will produce the fruit of Of goodness, so give us the discipline that's needed, the the ability to say no to certain things, so that we can turn to you, Um, and give us awareness, and give us humility and the heart of obedience that we need. So we pray for just more of you in our lives so that we could live as you would call us to live, which is to love you and to love others, that when we share the peace of Christ with others, that it would not just be in words, but that it would also be in our deeds. Amen. Amen.